Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studios in Atlanta, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Now, here's your host, Joe Moss. Good afternoon, everybody. Well, actually, late morning, everybody. This is Joe Moss, and welcome to this week's edition of On the Money, the number one small business podcast on Business Radio X. Uh, the show is sponsored by Embassy National Bank. We discuss topics that are um, helpful to small business to make them more successful. And uh, we do that because Embassy is proud of how we support small business. I'm Joe Moss, your moderator and president at Embassy National Bank. And we're broadcasting live from the global broadcast studios of Subaru of Gwinnett. Uh, we've really enjoyed this facility and uh, makes all of our guests very comfortable. So, Subaru, we appreciate it. Um, today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to brag about Embassy National Bank. I've got Nitin Shaw here, who is the uh, one of the founders, and he's chairman of the board at Embassy National Bank. So, Nitin, Nitin Shaw, welcome to the show. Good morning. Um, you know, Nitin, I spend a lot of time interviewing small business owners about uh, things they've done. Um, we've talked about success stories, um, you know, how they've overcome great odds, all those things. And I guess a couple of months ago, I look at Embassy National Bank and we're probably the number one success story here in Gwinnett County and we never talk about it. So I thought we would go back and uh, educate our listeners about where we were, you know, how we've gotten to where we are and where we're going. Um, and since you were been here since the beginning and kind of the brains behind the whole thing, I thought, Hey, let's, let's do this. So, um, you started thinking about embassy national bank in 2005, 2006. Well, it, actually the story goes all the way back to 1996 when a friend of mine was lending me a lot of money. He was a CEO of, uh, old CBS Bank, and then when CNS got bought by Bank of America, he kind of got unemployed. And he basically told me, I'm tired of working for someone, you want to start a bank. And I was in hotel business, so I said, hey, I don't know anything about hotel business. I'm in bank business, why would I start a bank? So I told him no. And unbeknownst to me, within a month, a friend of mine moved here from Minnesota and opened a, said, I'm going to open a bank because I was a bank director up there. So he opens a bank, and crazy me tells him, hey, I got a great CEO candidate for you that wanted to open a bank for me. So that's how the Quantum National Bank was born. Oh, okay. And, yeah, and Dr. Nalaguru. Nalaguru used him, and then Chris had a very successful run at the bank, he took bank from, um, you know, zero to almost 300 million before he retired. And he retired in 2005 and played golf for about six months and got tired. And during this period, all the time, I was regretting why didn't I do it. So when he retired and came back and said, Nitin, I have another five years left in me, do you want to start? I wrote him a $10,000 check that day and I said, go to work. <laughs> Last time I missed it, I don't want to miss. This time, so 18 months later, we were open. And um, and in 2007, you raised the money, and yes. um, and initially you raised uh, what was the initial amount that you raised? It was 18 million. 18 million. And what was the mood 
at that point in time in the economy when you ask people for that sizable investment to start a bank? Well, to everybody's surprise, the most toughest part of opening a bank was actually became the most easiest part for me. For some reason, we were able to raise that whole 18 million within six months. In fact, we only needed 9 million legally to start to start the bank or open the bank. We had the uh, off offering memorandum that says 9 to 12 million. Well, we got that in like 10, 12 days. So then we went to the regulators say, we're getting more and more checks in the mail. People are crazy about putting money here, so can I take more? So I went from 12 to 14 to 16 to 18, and then basically I had 20 million. And the regulator said, if you take any more than 18, you have to resubmit business plan, and that'll take six months. So either you refund 2 million back, and start with 18 because we're not letting you take any more money. And the mood at the time in Georgia was was that. It was that uh, banks could go no wrong and do no wrong and that you'd be an initial investor and three years later a big bank would buy you out and you'd double your money. That, that was the that, plan. That was the theory, and there were three or four CEOs who had been serially doing this for the last 30 years. Open a bank, get yeah. it to a certain size, sell it, Double, triple the money. There was a whole industry built up around yeah. that whole in, concept. In fact, in 2006, there were 16 bank open in Atlanta. Just Atlanta. Yes. Just Atlanta. Yeah, so that's how crazy it was. Yeah. And then, uh, all right, so you got opened, and uh, that you opened the doors in um, 07. Right. And um, I guess 07 was an okay year, and then uh, I went back and pulled some call reports. I hate to take you back to this nightmare, but... Uh, at the end of 08, you had all this euphoria in 06 and 07, and the end. And during 08, what happened? Well, in September 08, when Lehman Brothers fell, and our Treasury Secretary came and basically said the world is going to fall. You know, I think every everything, the whole financial industry, went down under in no time. You saw what happened with Merrill Lynch got bought out overnight by Bank of America at one third of the price. You know, all other financial institutions really came to a halt because of subprime mortgage fiasco in the residential industry. So um, nobody knew anything about it. In, during 07, as a chairman, we had no inkling because during the time, the paradigm was as a chairman and board of directors, you kind of kept your nose in but the finger out. Mm -hmm. running a bank. Right. You just were very strategic, stayed there, uh, didn't get into daily routine of the bank. That was the job of the CEO and the management. And so we as a chairman could never feel that the economy was going bad, but it was. Now, in retrospect, when I read all these things, there were signs in 2007 and early 2008, but we were never told and never knew about it. Yeah, and there were there were uh, a lot of well metrics. There was a lot of study that was being done, and and uh, in fact, there was one loan consultant who got chased out of the at the time I was over at another bank and got chased out of the boardroom because he looked at our board members and said, "I want you to know that every loan that you make in 2007 and 2008, every single loan that you make will go bad," and right? they threw him out of the boardroom. Well, but guess what? He was right. He was right. <laughs> he was right. And and I think at the, you try to trust the people who were there in banking for 30 years. 
my CEO was there for 36 years. Well, we nobody had seen this before. And, and never done it. He's been successful all his life. For him to see when this thing happening was, I mean, it was very disastrous because I could see his face every day. And he said, why in my end of my career? This Does this happening? have to happen? Yes. Yeah, there were a lot of us thinking the same thing. But you're, I mean, it was, it was, it was catastrophic. And just anybody listening out there, even for the veterans, it was it was literally catastrophic. Yeah, and I mean, think about it. Georgia was a poster child and is a poster child. Out of 340-some banks that failed in the country, we are like 82. The highest, bar none, no California, none Florida. We were number one in failure. We were called ground zero Yes, by the industry. Yeah. And I'm, I'm still, you zero. see, this year also we had two or three failures. I think there are one or two more we'll that will happen next more. year. There so, are about 30 or 40 that need to get cleaned out still. Right. But everybody's kind of stabilizing a little bit. Right. But in 08, um, at the, the, I guess all these folks that had all this euphoria, now they're looking around, oh, I'm going to be involved in a bank. They're looking around the boardroom going, what happened right so a non-industry person i can't imagine what was going through your head well we didn't know more much about the accounting process of banking i did not know that you have to take the loss the day you find out there will be a loss even though the actual loss has not occurred and you have to rely on somebody on the outside to come in and tell you what your loss is. Yeah, and so somebody outside comes in. So it was very hard to digest that your capital is going down the drain, uh, even if the loan is still not gone bad or is about to go bad, but you have to do an appraisal and do loan, loan impairment analysis and files 105 and files 114. And so we got into thick and thin of knowing what how banking, accounting, and banking works very, very quick, especially, specifically a guy like us with no knowledge of how that accounting works. Yeah, and I, I and I just have to add that uh, someone that sits next to you in the board meetings, Naveen Shaw, was shoulder to shoulder with you and uh, had a significant investment in the bank as well. And uh, knowing Naveen as I do, he just had to have been shell-shocked. He was. He was. I mean, we were all shell-shocked, but the important part was how fast was capital was draining. And we thought, you know, if this continues, we may not make it. And, you know, to take $18 million of people's money and lose it in a couple of years is not fun. And then 2009 doesn't get any better. No, it got worse, actually, because all the losses that you had in 2008 got, got realized. A lot of it, actually, all the paperwork, the appraisals started coming in 2009. So we, like, took $3.6 million loss in 2009. So, yeah, yeah, and then, uh, and then uh, and it, you know, and you, one could argue that, you guys didn't do anything wrong. It was just the market that you were in. Yeah, market was extremely competitive because, yeah, as I said, 16 Bank had opened, so people were really going after the loans. And when you open a bank, you know fixed costs are there, and you don't have any loans on the books, right. so you have no income. So you're bleeding anyway. So people have a tendency to put any and every loan on the books just to get enough income to make sure you come to break even as quick as possible. And the guy down the street, who is not doing the right thing, who is, I used to say uh, in the old day, back in those days, and I went through another one of these things back in the 80s, I would, I would say the, I'd make a joke where the developer would come in, give you his plan, you give him a check for $3 million and say, we'll see you in three years and let's hope it works. Yes. 
And that's what other banks were doing all over Georgia. So that's why you had a lot of the, you know, pipe farms is what they were affectionately called, where the land was developed and you had pipes coming up and nobody to buy the lots. Builders were going down. Everybody was going down. I think one of the reasons Atlanta became a poster child because we don't have any natural boundaries around Atlanta. It's so huge. If you go to Chicago, there's a water lake on one side. You go to New York, the same thing. On our end, all the four sides, there were empty farms. Ready to be developed. So, I mean, subdivisions came almost like, you know, ant will come. <laughs> and and back in the day, I know Carroll County, Carrollton, Georgia, um, I was helping somebody out there. They had, they had, I want everybody to hear this, they had a 75-year inventory of ready lots on the ground. 75 years. And that doesn't include the undeveloped land that was there. And at one time in entire Atlanta, I think there was a 40-year worth of lots. I know. Uh, it was nuts. So anyway, we rolled through, and um, in 2010, I, I hate to have to remind you of this, but um, uh, everybody was dealing with it. I was dealing with it over at this other bank trying to clean it up. Uh, embassy had pro- – and there's I'm going somewhere with this, okay, everybody. Um, embassy had about $11 million worth of what I would call – really troubled assets so you've got exposure with 11 million dollars with the losses um you only had capital to support that of 8.4 million right so the texas ratio is what people measure troubled assets divided by capital and from a logic standpoint you've only got x amount of capital to support all the losses that might be in those loans right um, was 130 percent right um the rule of thumb is anything over 100%, a bank's going to die. Yes, it does. Um, so you had to do something. Um, let me point out at this point that at the time TARP was going on, was Embassy National, but TARP was the money that was given by the Treasury to their favorite banks. Right. Remember Goldman Sachs, all those all people. The big um, did Embassy ever have get TARP money? Well, we could not. We could not even qualify, even if you wanted to get it, because there were some regulations. You could not have any government action on you. You could not have your camels rating below certain points. So, actually, the way TARP worked was actually they were not helping the banks that needed it. They pre-selected the winners. Right. So it was actually meant to just specify, I think, small banks, but they were not the main beneficiary. Were all these big investment banks. You know, we're, they, the Treasury Secretary came from that industry. Yeah, and, and guess who got most of the money? The guy, the firm that he came from. I, yes. Let's, that's a whole nother show. Yes. Yeah, that's a whole nother show. Anyway, um, but the point is, did Embassy ever get any federal assistance through no. this process? No, we did not. None. None. Zero. Zero. So um, Embassy, along with a lot of other banks, were out there fighting for their lives. Yes. Um, you had a substantial family investment at risk. Yes. Um, and 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 all those shareholders, a lot of them put up. They put up a lot of money. Did it? And um, and just and because the the shareholder base at Embassy was is mostly Asian Indian, and most and a lot of them owned hotels, so they were getting clobbered on both sides, the home front, and they're looking at the bank going. Well, what's going on here? Not only that, there were another three or four Asian Indian owned and dominated banks that had failed or were about to fail. And they had investment in those banks. 
So I mean, think about it. All your investments are going to zero, and that's and then your own business, the main business that you run, is going down under, or upside down. So it was, I mean, terrible time. A lot of people lost everything they had worked for the last thirty years. All right. So in two thousand ten, somewhere in that boardroom, at some point in time, you made a very strategic decision that we got to get out of this on our own. What are we going to do? Right. And you made the decision to. Well, the decision was made that I was under, I, I, I had, uh, me and Chris Lohr, both our old CEO, he was still in the board. He was acting CEO. We were, he was on the board. We had another CEO uh, hired in August of '09 that was cert- supposed to do certain things like SBA loans and stuff to get us out of the hole. That was the only thing that I could see that take us out of the hole because those loans were easily doable. We knew the people who wanted it. They could be easily sold in the marketplace, and you could make a large amount of premium to substantiate uh, your capital base so that, you know, you can at least stop bleeding. And at the time, SBA had a 90% guarantee program. 90% guarantee. Premiums were running around 10 11 12%. But bank was not doing it. The new CEO was not doing it. We had hired a guy that should have done it. He, he was not doing it, so I really got frustrated back in March of 2010. So I was telling Chris, I said, Chris, you need to come back. But he was so tainted by the regulators that he couldn't come back. Then there were two people in the board that didn't want anything to do with SBA loans because they thought they were substandard loans. So in a five, six people board, you got you know, two people saying no, two people don't know anything about it. So I had to take a decision to just he either get a CEO that will do it. And Chris Floor told me, no, 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 nobody, you can't trust anybody. Why don't you become a CEO? I said, I don't know anything about banking. How do you expect me to run a trouble bank? Right. So he said, no, no, it's not that difficult. I'll be here and board is here. We'll hire two new people in the board and we'll get doing it. Luckily for me, I was on the other end of SBA 7A loans because I was a borrower. So I and knew how fantastic them. it was for me. And you me. liked them, and they were telling you, okay, so you're a bad credit. I've got an SBA loan, so therefore I'm a bad credit. Is well, that what if you can't get a conventional loan, that's why you're getting SBA loan. That was the bank, you know, limbo in those days. I mean, if you can't get any loan, that's why you go to SBA. And then you and I started talking, I think, in June of 2010. Yes. And, um, but, all right, so you... you you had to make that leap of faith and say, okay, we're going hog wild into the SBA portfolio. And, right. um, and, and it turns out it's the only thing that saved the bank. Yes. We made 1.6. We just think about it. We lost 3.6 million in 2009 mm-hmm. and we made 1.6 million after all the losses were taken. Right. In 2010. Right. And, you know, and to take those losses, by the way, I mean, that was gut check time for a lot of people to be able to sit there and say, you know what, I've got these losses that I have to take. Well, there was a lot of commotion in the bank. Trust me, board, before I became CEO, uh, the chief credit officer came and said, we got to have this $3.6 million in losses, and nobody in the bank would believe it. Nobody would digest him, including my old CEO. He said, this is hogwash. Right. And the chief credit officer, you know, yeah, chief credit officer said, no, this is it. And the new president that I had, he said, we have to take it to do it right. 
So, I mean, board itself is fighting. You are a chairman. You have no banking knowledge. I mean, it was a very, it was a terrible. Well, time. and, you know, just, just so everybody knows, when you're, when you're an executive manager at a bank, you've got really two bosses. You've got your shareholders, but you also have the regulators. Oh, regulators. I'm, I'm and, and an you, understatement. <laughs> and now we're going back and reading the news about the, the executives that helped, that hid their losses, and they're going to jail. Yes, they are. Because it's basically manipulation of accounting numbers, uh, and we didn't do that. We took the loss. We, we kind of took the bullet. Uh, almost, almost. All right, here's a good, here's a good trivia question. It'll be one for the ages. Those time, how many Wall Street bankers went to jail? I don't remember. Yeah, I see a big zero popping up over here on the side of the room. How many community bankers have been have had to go to jail as a result of all this? There are two in Atlanta that I know of. I know, and there is one more about to go, and then I think nationwide there were like several. Yeah, and I and you know another editorial comment: the community bank community that's now standing was not to blame for all this, but we now we shouldered all the loss. Yeah, it was. I and mean, think about it. The public needs to understand that. Think about it. It was all done by Wall Street. They got the money from the government under the systemic risk thing. That whole world is going to fall if America falls. So give me the money, bail us out. Otherwise, the whole world financial system is collapsing, which sometimes I think it was not untrue. But the biggest brunt of Wall Street mass was was taken by the Main Street, guys like us. Correct. Because, you know, bank would not lend money. Our loans will come due. Bank will ask for us to repay their loan, and we won't be able to pay the loan. That was my hotel business side of it. So... I remember my $90 million my hotel loans came due in 9 and 10 with no way to repay. Mm -hmm. So I could have lost every hotel that I owned. Okay, so we were taking the burn from the Wall Street, and there was all big banks that were saying, hey, we have so much losses, we can't lend anymore. I don't care. You got Taj Mahal. I will not lend you money. And the, and the subsidy came in uh, not only with the TARP, but also what's called loss share, where... um um banks were guaranteed their losses were being sheltered by the government by fdic if they took over a failed bank well uh, the problem with that loss share agreement was that the bank has to go and foreclose on a property have the owner lose everything then also sue the owner sue the owner the property define your loss and then come talk to us about so, it so i mean what did it do it actually and, made the, everybody in the main street lose their businesses. Right. Then the bad bank went to FDIC and said, okay, I had this much loss. I calculated it by foreclosing, reselling the asset. Now give me 80% of the loss. And and I think it gets worse because if you came across, there were still, there were good borrowers back in those days. If you came across, if you acquired a portfolio of loans and one of those good borrowers had a loan maturity, if you renewed that loan, it came out of loss share. Right. So your only choice, if you wanted to protect your insurance, was to just say, pay me back. So banks were going to people like you right. and go, guess what? That $5 million that came due, we need it. 30 days. Right. And sometimes they'll say, okay, we'll do appraisal and just pay me four. 
I'll have a million dollar loss and I'll take 80% of FDIC. Yeah, okay, well, go try to go find four million but I paid, in this world. I paid right. only a million for this loan, so it doesn't make any difference to me because I'm still going to make four million. That's a good so point. So those guys were making profit at the expense of people losing their businesses. The whole fundamental was upside down. Instead of saving mainstream America, the lost share basically encouraged banks to go and foreclose on people. Well, and I'll be honest with you, and I don't care who listens to this video, but the whole loss share thing, I think, really destroyed a lot of mainstream communities. And it kind of galls me a little bit now. The loss share banks are now going public and everybody's patting on back and saying, great job. I don't know. I, You know, great job. Sure. You know, you were given this guarantee from the government. Uh, kind of hard to lose. Well, it's the same Wall Street money that came in to buy all these people at 10 cents on a dollar. Right. And now they're cashing out at three or four times their, their uh, investment. Well, again, let's we can go down that path a little bit. I want to talk about embassy because in 2010, uh, it was Katie bar the door. Then we pick up 2011. Um, and that's the year I joined in March of 2011. Uh, you pick me in you brought me in because i was doing troubled assets at the time and we had that 10 million we had to do something with uh but in 2011 the um the sba program was successful we recorded profits of a million four right so it was an immediate turnaround and and if you look at some of our other numbers the the numbers were coming back but in 2012 is when the regulators started saying guys clean this up so we had to make some really strategic decisions at that point about certain assets that we had right and it wasn't pretty you know well i think the regulators basically said we give you three years to clean it up you got still some bad assets in your bank you're making money just take the loss as much as you can clean it up and at that time it looked very difficult to do it but in retrospect i think that was the best thing we did because it started completely brand new bank from 2013, you know what I mean? Well, a couple of things there. Um, I remember in the 70s, there were three banks in town. There were we had actual banks here in Atlanta, now you know, located in Atlanta. There's CNS, there was First National Bank of Atlanta, and there was Trust Company Bank. Right. And all three of them had huge losses on their balance sheet in the 70s. In fact, there was rumor that all three of them were about ready to go under. Um, First National Bank of Atlanta managed their losses. CNS arguably hid their losses. Trust Company said, "You know what? We got this stuff. We're gonna we're gonna take all the losses." And they reported a huge loss one year back in the seventies. But they turned out to be the be the most successful bank down the road because they went ahead and cleaned up their balance sheet. Right. So I mean, that thought process went through my head when I was talking to the board about, "Hey, let's clean this up." And then uh, we found this warehouse up in Gainesville, Georgia, where, um, you know, you run across oopses, but I just, I'll never forget this warehouse we found that was built. Part of the <laughs> warehouse was built over on railroad land. Right. And uh, you never, you're not going to know that stuff. Right. You're never going to know that stuff. But you, that's just one example of stuff. Things that we found doing workout. So we went ahead and took our losses. Boom. Um, 2012 was recognized a cleanup year. And then from then on, uh, we've been consider growing considerably in and profits. making money every year. Every year. Um, 
Okay, so let's go back to 2010. Um, in 2010, problem assets of $10.8 million, equity of 8.4. Fast forward to, um, I think it's September of this year, we've got non-performing assets now of 900000 So we're down $10 million. But our capital has grown from 8.3 up to 10.7. Right. So, um, you know, that's why I like to talk, why we need to talk I mean, about plus this. Plus the because capital you got in the holding company. Absolutely. So and we still have. $12 million. Right. And, um, um, but it's no, again, let me ask you, did embassy ever get any government subsidy money at all? No. We're absolutely. just a regular old small business in Gwinnett County trying to make it through the day. And we have done, I would say, a very admirable magazine article kind of job about turning this place around. Yeah, I mean, I think we basically did the old-fashioned way. We looked at every bad asset. I personally visited every asset that was bad. I was trying to figure out what I can do with it. How can I find a buyer? Spoke to a lot of bad borrowers, good borrowers, people who were looking for opportunities. Down in the trenches, just take one asset at a time, figure out the best strategy to clean it up, reduce the losses. Get rid of it or make figure out make money on this side. Yeah, we and on that side we were going to make all SBA loans we can make because we knew the borrower. Yep. We knew the hotel asset. We knew the brand. We knew the market. We knew the franchise. We had the great thing about this bank was all the people who were making decisions had a great domain knowledge of that business they were lending to, and that was a part of the reason we were successful because we knew the borrower, their character. We knew the collateral. We knew the brand. We knew the market. We knew the exit. It was very difficult to go wrong, and if you lend it at the right loan-to-value ratio, I mean, there was nowhere to go wrong, and which is what we proved in the last four years. And, and we took a look at some assets. You know, we made decisions to build out a shopping center. Yes. Which helped sell it. Yes. Um, you know, we stabilized some assets, and then we dumped some assets. Yes. So, um, and, you know, I... Like you, you know, my job was to go out and look at all this stuff, and I'd spend a lot of time just looking and thinking, and you know what, what the heck can we do? And I think we made some pretty good decisions yeah, along the I way. And I think you know, it was whole teamwork. It was Joe, you, it was me, it was Naveen, it was the whole board, and Greg. I mean, all these guys, Connie, they were really, really professional. Yeah, we've got a real experienced crowd. I mean, these people could run billion-dollar bank, and they were running. Well, now, money. okay, let's talk about the future, <laughs> Nitin. Here we go. Um, so. What do you see the future? What's embassy going to do? Well, as I told my shareholder the day I formed the bank that I'm not here to, you know, build a bank three years, four years later, sell it. I'm here for the long haul. I want to buy additional banks. I want to grow the bank. I would like to take it to a billion-dollar bank. And, you know, with the help of the team that we have, I think we have great management in place. We have a good strategic vision. I think now that the industry has been cleaned up, uh, those that have survived will thrive because there's less competition. And those people who have the niche like we do in specific markets and specific businesses, that would do very well because not other people are not as good as we are in that particular industry. Yeah, and I think it's important for... um for a small business owners to realize kind of what our strategy is. We, we feel like that we've got to, to be in niches. We yes. can't be all things to all people. So we've selected 
Nit and I looked at it, I think we only got four things that we're concentrating on, and we've decided that we're good in each of them, that we've got good margins in them, and um, that's what we do. And right. uh, it's SBA lending. It's uh, We're doing construction lending now. Um, uh, we're doing some uh, small business checking. And um, um, and then our normal, uh, if I forgot anything, oh, yeah, and the rehab portfolio where we're helping builders buy and fix up houses and turn around and selling them. And we want to take it nationwide. We feel like we do it so well. Uh, we've got a very good name in the Indian community. Right. Huge, huge community across this country. Um, so that's that's the plan. I think, yeah, you're right. The strategic vision is to grow differently than most of the communities bank grow. We don't want to have one branch in Conyers and one in Cummings and one in Alpharetta and all that. And try to compete with SunTrust. I think we it need to go. Work. We need to. I, I think the world has come where you have to go where the customers are. Mm-hmm. Remember University of Georgia in Athens? Now they have an office in Buckhead. People used to travel to take classes to Athens. Well, with the traffic and everything, nobody's going there anymore. So the universities are coming to your <laughs> your town so that you can take classes. I think same thing is going to be in the banking. And, and you got and, to go where the customers are. And I personally think one day less and less people are going to physically travel inside the bank with the mobile technology we have today and the Internet. I think people can do anything from anywhere. So there's no need to be physically present somewhere. However, you need to know where your concentration of customer is. And our concentration of customer is where this typical Asian community is, which is, you know, New York, New Jersey, Houston, Chicago, Los Angeles. Those are the places there is a heavy concentration of this community. The majority of them are in small business, who our customers are. We know them. They are in the same three, this five or six businesses, which is what we want to focus on. So our strategy of growth is going to be a little different, but I think it is a pretty smart strategy because we know the customer base. We know their character. We know which businesses they are in. We know the domain knowledge. Um, and we have the exposure, at least I have an exposure by starting the Asian American Hotel Owner Association around the country. Um, we, we've been to the most of the markets and we know major players in those markets. And um, I, uh, I'm not answering my phone here. I'm looking for a quote because we're kind of nearing the end here. And so let me find this and I will then, uh, we, we are, I'll keep looking. But anyway, um, it's a great quote that I'm going to end the show with and I'm going to find it. But, you know, right now our book, our you know, our stock is probably worth about seven bucks a share. Right. What would you tell a shareholder about uh, if he's asked to uh, invest more or would he like to invest more or should he sell? What would you tell that shareholder right now? Well, my my advice to the shareholder is the bank has improved a lot, but the industry is still not improved and you don't see the multiples of the book value that you used to have two or three times the book value. So I think as soon as the industry returns to the normal multiples, you will see appreciation and value of your stock even though the book value is below the par value that we had uh, given. But when the multiples return, you'll see two or three times your book value, which will be, which will probably double your investment. Uh, so we keep on doing the right thing. We keep on generating the profit, increase the capital every day, increase the book value, which is our job, and grow the bank very uh, safely and soundly, uh, and, and stay on our strategic vision, focus, work hard, 
and and I think you'll see the returns. And then if you see the opportunity to acquire uh, or organically grow, uh, we will do so. And and we'll never forget that our sole business is to make sure shareholders' values are asked every day, and and everything we do. And like you said, we've got the people in place that can take this to a billion-dollar organization Absolutely. today. So um, we just have to, uh, as I, I, I never want to forget where we came from. Yes. Um, I want to learn from our mistakes. Um, and, you know, even the veterans learned a whole lot that they didn't think they <laughs> – they thought a lot of the veterans thought they knew everything, but even the veterans, if they're honest with themselves, um, they learned a lot too. Not only about banking, but about um, about people, about borrowers, how to treat people, you know, how, just how to do all the different things. So I want don't ever want to forget where we came from. I want to remember uh, what we've learned, but I do think that if we take care of the customer. Um, and we work hard on doing that in, in a handful of niches that we're good at with good margins. We're going to be very successful. I agree. All right. Um, Nitin, we're probably going to have to do this again uh, and to follow up more on strategic vision. And, oh, I wanted to add that you talk about the geographic. Uh, we have one branch, but we're banking people from New York all the way down to Miami. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, it's nuts what technology can do, and I will add to the to the cust for every customer out there uh, around the country. Um, it doesn't matter where you are; you can open up an account online with us. You can do mobile banking. You can make your deposits. We have a really good uh, online banking system that's better than SunTrust. Um, and at the end, also, you say, "Well, how am I going to get cash?" Well, go to an ATM, any ATM in the country. And you can use it, and you, we will not charge you anything. And I think the day is coming where we will become cashless. It'll be just a big general ledger in space. You know, you'll transfer money and receive money through your uh, iPhone. I mean, there are a lot of uh, countries who are doing this, M-Peso. And Kenya. we're going to do that. And, yes, and we're going to do that. We're going So there. I think that a time is coming where you are just transferring money from one place to another to your iPhone. Sure. And you have this big balance sheet. Uh, your ledger in your iPhone. And it needs a big system in the background, and everybody needs a bank, and we want to be that bank. Yes, sir. All right. Um, we're going to have to end it for the day. Um, I know I'm not supposed to talk about time of the year, but I do want to say to everybody, happy Thanksgiving. Yes. Uh, be very thankful for what we do have. Um, get over your regrets and move forward to the future. But I do want to end with this quote. I was watching uh, the infamous Frank Reagan on Blue Bloods one night, who I just love that show anyway. Uh, and I saw this quote, and I had to actually go back and uh, re and replay and copy this down word for word. And you remember, I texted it to you that night. Here's what I saw this quote on TV last night and thought of us. And that can be you, me, and everybody in that boardroom, Connie, Brad, uh, uh, Greg, everybody. Anyone who has reached the ages you and I have, who work the hours we do without ever hardly looking at the clock, who can still fight over what we do, and it's not always easy in our boardroom, right? Fight over what we do the way we do, like we're green as grass with everything to prove. That makes us two very fortunate men. 
So here we are, you know, hey, we're about the same age. Uh, who knows how much time we have left, but I feel like I'm just starting over again in a lot of respects. Yes, I so do anyway. too. And I enjoy this industry unbelievably. I, thought, I know you're having fun, aren't I you? I thought hotel was the best business, but I think the bank is one of the best. Real complicated <laughs> business, isn't it? You gotta, you gotta know a lot. Anyway, all right, that's our show for the day. Uh, this has been on the money, the number one business show on Emb on uh, Business Radio X, and we've talked about uh, Embassy National Bank and the success story. Um, on the money, you can get us uh, on Twitter at on underscore the underscore money and then the number one. And you can listen to any of our shows by going on the money dot business dot com. Um, we're also out on iTunes so you can stream us. But we're also out on YouTube at business radio X dash Gwinnett studio channel. Um, and uh, uh, we're going to spread this show out so i suspect a lot of people are going to hear it and um but it's i really really happy we got a chance to discuss this and we need to do it again sometime and talk more about the future but until next time i'm joe moss embassy national bank and as we say uh be careful out there and then the other thing that we always talk about is leaving fear in the back seat so that's our show today. Thanks, Nitin, so much for being here. And um, we will talk to everybody next time.